Hello, and thank you for joining our latest episode of our Powering Payments podcast. I'm Nick Fleetwood, and at Form 3, I look after our data services strategy. And today, we're going to be exploring how financial institutions are able to create value out of data, along with some of the challenges that they face and the opportunities presented by new technology. I'm delighted to be joined by Ronan Carter, client partner at Google, and as well as this podcast, We'll also be exploring these themes at the FinTech Talents Festival happening in London on the 14th and 15th of November in a session called Payments, Monetization of Data and Other Benefits of Cloud Technologies. So feel free to also join us for that. So before we begin, Ronan, would you like to give us a bit more information about yourself and your role? Hey Nick, thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, I specialise in fintech customers with Google Cloud, um, specifically payment services providers like Form3 as one of my clients. Uh, My background is 10 years in management consultancy, uh, much of which was in the financial services space. So I'm I'm used to helping companies adapt um, to realise hidden value. Um, I co-founded a couple of startups too, um, taking these for a few rounds of funding. So I know the the excitement and challenges that come from running a small business and scaling it, uh, as lots of my customers have done. Fantastic. Well, I think that's perfectly uh, opportunity, perfect opportunity to uh, lead us on to our uh, first question. So, uh, Ronan, maybe I could begin with a pretty open and broad question. Uh, what opportunities do you see as existing for uh, payment service providers, financial institutions, and banks? to create value from data that they collect during the payment process? I guess the exponential growth of digital transformation uh, and digital payments have have led to this proliferation in the amount of data. Um, Lots of clients and lots of commentators refer this to to, to data as the new currency. Um, I think Gartner describes it perfectly. Uh, They say it's not enough to have data. Um, The value of data comes from the insights that it creates, the processes that it optimises, uh, and its ability to, to enable better decision-making. Um, so that's underlined by the stats. You know, the digital payments market was valued at, what, 7 trillion US dollars in 2021. It's, it's, it's projected to be worth about 15 trillion uh, by 2027. I think the growth of that is largely due to the anticipation of the value of harnessing the power of that data. Um, this paradigm shift towards data-driven services and real-time analytics uh, makes data a, a key asset, but, but the burning question for banks and payment providers like, like Form 3 yourselves is how do you provide personalization to consumers and in doing so, how do you monetize that asset, which, which is data? Um, I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples in a second, um, but, but especially with the advent of, of uh, new regulations, you know, particularly ISO 222, uh, which provides a far richer data set transmitted in the transaction, Potential examples of how you could you could monetize data uh, include embedding business intelligence t- to the bank or financial institution um, for them to use this as a, as a revenue stream by personalizing offers. Um, similarly, by generating personalized products and, and loyalty offerings using predictive analytics. Uh, you could also provide other insights and, and trend predictions, smart dashboards, you know, as a way that you can bring that to the fore. Um, and of course, a really common use case is, is real-time fraud detection. So, so in summary, I guess a world in, in, in a world that's becoming progressively mobile first and data driven, you know, consumers expect fast, frictionless payment experiences, um, and the companies that can 
manage and monetize real-time data, I think are going to be the winners going forward. Yeah, that's really interesting, Ronan. I, I guess what we see is there's a real shift from payments being a, a relatively you know, commoditized thing uh, to being more of a product. You know, and that real difference about um, payments being, you know, seen as this sort of fundamental building block of, you know, of, of the financial industry to actually being um, uh, the ability to create high value products and services that really impact um, uh, uh, a bank's ability to drive value is a real shift. Um, and I guess, you know, kind of summarizing the way those kind of use cases that you mentioned map out on a macro level, we tend to see them fall into, into those three buckets of, you know, operational value, where banks are using it to primarily focus on you know, the performance of products and processes um, and, and how they can help with things like uh, assisting audit processes, you know, uh, investigation and remediation activities. Data has a huge role to play in that space. You know, and some of those services and products and tools you discussed fit there. Um, you also mentioned uh, risk management, and I think there's a really, you know, this is probably the, I would say, first or second in terms of the value kind of principles in terms of use cases, you know, for, for a lot of banks. And we'll talk about some of the macro themes that are going on at the moment around risk management. But, you know, the ability to identify fraud you know, manage your AML and sanction risk is, is a key opportunity within that transaction data. Um, and then the third one, which I think is really under um, explored at the moment, is around opportunity creation. You know, understanding your customers better, as you said, to create more personalized uh, packages, um, better products and services, reducing churn, growing value. Um, you know, and, and those are really key opportunities that every bank has to take advantage of. Um, uh, in order to be able to drive their, their performance. Absolutely, I, I completely agree with, with all that, Nick. Yeah, we were aligned. But, but really, what prevents payment services providers and, and banks being more innovative with, with data? When we think about this from a Form 3 perspective, um, we recognise that it's a really complex challenge. You know, and it's not down to any one key area, um, but we kind of think about it from a, from a data principles perspective. You know, in order to be able to get high value, high quality uh, products and services from data, you need to make sure that you you follow five key data principles. The first of those is is the data quality. So we need to make sure that data has is uh, trustworthy, complete, um, and has high integrity. So all those sources need to be highly trusted, and you need to be able to process those things in a way that creates reliable outcomes. Um, so high quality data always gives customers the ability to create the best quality products, but also identify um, errors and anomalies that, that prevent those uh, systems from being reliable. You also need to have uh, exceptional data management. And so this is really where technology comes to play. You know, that ability to manage data in a way that produces value. Uh, how does it, how can you ingest data fast, uh, effectively? Um, how can you store it in ways that are readily accessible? How can you process those uh, those queries in ways that drive efficiency? And how do you catalog and label the data so that it's easily accessible and findable? Those are challenges that, are, that really are uh, banks you know, uh, are focused on overcoming. But it leads on to the third of those data principles, which is security. So obviously you have to make sure that your data is secured at every level. 
you're managing your roles and responsibilities so that the governance isn't directly being used in a way that uh, that 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 makes sure that you are um, preventing data from being used for incorrect purposes by incorrect people the fourth element is a data innovation so having the mindset that you are going to try to drive opportunities for value and you're willing to fail but you can measure outputs and results in a way that enables you to tell whether or not you're being successful in achieving your goals and ambitions. And then the last, and this is really key, and I see this being a key a key challenge when you're talking about democratizing the value of data, is data skills. You know, the, an organization level, making sure that you are enabling producers of data and consumers of data to be as powerful as they can using the products and services that you create. So yeah, inevitably, those product, those principles that I've talked about don't exist in isolation. You know, you have to make sure that you know, even if you've got the um, highest quality data with the best technology, but you don't have the right security, then your system is flawed. You know, it really is about bringing those together in a way that manages the kind of socio and technical challenges um, uh, that that enable you to get the most value out of that data set. Um, when I work with my payment provider clients um, to help them unlock the power of their data, um, I see a number of technical challenges, um, you know, to answer that part of the question, um, that, would, that we help them to overcome with the smart use of, uh, of Google Cloud technology. Um, specifically, um, the, the reality is that many organisations' data is it's unstructured, it's stored in legacy, monolithic platforms, you know, it's siloed, it's disparate. Uh, so there's no one view of data across the organisation. You know, people refer to, to data lakes, and I often uh, think that, that the term data swamp is sometimes more appropriate in, in, in the payments provider space. So, so what's the impact of that? Um, it, it really means that you, you get inefficiencies, data duplication, higher costs, um, and it limits innovation uh, because it's difficult to, to access and make sense to data in any sort of meaningful way. So as a result, my clients say to me, look, I'm trying to develop a new product. I mean, you know this because you're, you're a product manager for data, uh, but, but you don't trust the data. You know, th this data is in lots of different systems. The systems don't speak to each other. I can't get this, this one single source of the truth across the business. Um, so the moral of this story for, for me is that, you know, the product or service is really only as good as the accessibility and quality of the data. Um, so, so underlying this big challenge is, is technology. You know, it's the challenge and the solution is technology, bizarrely. So often the technology is, is legacy, it's on-prem tech, you know, data's in the wrong place, it's in the wrong formats, um, and modern data needs can't be served by these legacy platforms. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you think about the kind of challenge of how, we, how you break out of those isolating data silos, you know, being able to take into consideration the, uh, the ability to do that in a multi-cloud environment is going to be crucial to unlocking the value of that data. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So the, the, the second out of three things uh, is data orchestration. Um, so what we can do is we can automate the process of gathering, preparing and transforming data from lots of storage locations, you know, silos, um, which makes it much easier for data analysis tools to access that data. Um, so as um, much more mature organisations, you know, legacy organisations, take one of the, the, you know, the big banks in the UK, as they adopt this multi-cloud strategy, um, data orchestration across clouds and frameworks and on-prem systems makes this data much more easily available for real-time analytics and insights, uh, which could create new revenue streams. Um, finally, and we, we, we can't have a podcast without talking about open banking, um, 
you know, financial institutions and payment providers um, have to clean and enrich existing data, uh, making it actionable and trustworthy, um, to capitalise upon this open banking, you know, the, the data sharing agreements with, with third parties. Um, but that's only possible when you've got a secure and robust and open API infrastructure which optimises the sharing of that data. Uh, and really what that does for the consumer is, 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 is to open a vast suite of services um, via third-party providers. Um, and back to the title of the podcast, um, one use case for monetization, um, for, for you guys for example, could be faster onboarding of customers and merchants uh, using open banking and APIs. Um, to perform, for example, um, credit risks, uh, credit risk checks in, in real time. Yeah, absolutely fascinating, Ronan. And I think when we think about the um, the way those principles, so the ability to focus on um, uh, the, the uh, openness of, of cloud technologies, uh, the ability to orchestrate data, um, and the value of interconnecting that data with uh, other third parties through open banking, you know, really what we're thinking about there is is the the power of the the the, the network um, from a silos point from overcoming those silos you know and, and from thinking about that from a almost a mesh perspective where you're not just thinking about it from connecting uh, two endpoints you're also thinking about the fact that the more people who exist connecting those endpoints the richer the value is of the, the output you know so there are lots of opportunities there to think about the fact that unlocking those data silos, enables you to, to, to really then uh, unlock uh, uh, almost an accelerated view on value because of the number of people participating in, in, in sharing that solution in a safe uh, and agile way. Um, and, and banks definitely benefit from that in terms of platform technologies. You know? And we've certainly seen that at Form 3 in terms of the fact that you know, banks process uh, transaction data uh, through our own, uh, through our platform, um, and they they benefit from the the ability to do that in a in an organised and structured way through our single API. So, you know, there are there are opportunities to really think about the way that when you unlock the unlock those silos, there are incremental value opportunities to be gained through uh, through working uh, in in that uh, open environment. I completely agree, Nick. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah. This brings us on to the a hot topic. It's always been a hot topic, I think, for the last few years. Um, it's fraud. You know, the complexity and and cost of fraud has increased over time, and there's been regulatory changes re recently around fraud. Um, so, how can the use of clouds uh, help the, the smart use of data to combat fraud? Yeah, I think it's probably, as I said, kind of uh, in terms of those use cases. It's probably becoming one of the principal use cases for for usage of data. Um, you know, when we look at the UK, for example, the fastest growing uh, vector for fraud is around push payments, um, and they overtook credit cards last year, around six hundred million of losses. Um, and when we think about that in terms of an issue and how you can use data to solve it, um, we tend to think about that in terms of. Uh, um, uh, a few different key challenges you you need to overcome. So the first of those is that push payments exist in in real time. You know they are they are by their very nature um, what a, a payment type that you need to make a decision on uh, within you know fractions of seconds. Um, so you need a data solution that operates at the highest level of uh, uh, of performance um, uh, to be able to to respond uh, within the uh, constraints of the system. Um, 
The second is that you need to leverage the uh, the widest and richest data set possible um, in order to be able to uh, train uh, models that have the best opportunity at identifying fraudulent transactions without generating high volumes of, uh, uh, of false positives. So when you think about the fact that, um, uh, that uh, the models uh, work best when they're identifying um, instances of uh, learning from instances of fraud, you know, if those instances of fraud exist within you know, isolated ecosystems, there tend to be lower levels of instances, which means that the training of the model takes longer. So obviously, the wider and breadth, the depth and breadth of the network that you're training on, the better the opportunity to generate really powerful models. Um, and then the second factor in terms of modeling is actually for something like push payment fraud, the, um, uh, the victim is uh, uh, the person who's perpetrating the, uh, the, the payment, is the one in making the payment. The, um, the perpetrator is the, uh, is the person who's receiving that payment. Um, and so when you're trying to create a, uh, a model on that, the best way to achieve effect effectiveness in terms of training a model on the beneficiaries is again at a network level. You know, trying to understand you know, what are the commonalities between the uh, between the, um, uh, the 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 people who are receiving those fraudulent payments. Um, and finally, you need a model that's trained on both inbound and outbound transactions. You mentioned new regulation. That new regulation uh, that was announced, uh, to the, the, the PSR announcement that took place last week, um, announced, announced that, uh, that victims were going to be 100% refunded um, uh, from uh, their losses due to push payment fraud. And the cost of that would be borne 50% by the uh, originating bank and 50% on the receiving bank. So banks need to take responsibility not only on monitoring uh, transactions they're sending, but also transactions they're receiving. So this plays that key role of being able to be enabling real-time uh, transaction posting, be able to access uh, as wide a network as possible in terms of training the model, especially with a focus on the beneficiaries. And it needs to be uh, training a model that can be as effective at monitoring inbound as it does outbound transactions. Um, and so this is really interesting when you think about the, the role data plays and, and how you can think about accessing data that, that meets those challenges. Absolutely. And, and the PSR regulations that you, you know, the new regulations that you spoke about, you know, everyday consumers uh, encounter. Like, you know, we all get two-factor authentication and push notifications when we make payments on our, our mobile devices. It's, um, it's really changing the, the payments landscape uh, as well as below the hood. Now we can see it above the hood, as it were. Um, I'd also add that, that many of our clients uh, are embracing AI, artificial intelligence and uh, machine learning. Um, you know, this, this is relatively new technology which, which detects and investigates and it reduces transaction frauds um, you know, really effectively and efficiently. Um, so, for example, AI-based fraud uh, prevention is, is very effective at reducing chargebacks, um, fake accounts, spam, account takeovers and, 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 and that sort of uh, thing. Um, a really nice example of where we can harness the, the power of the wider Google ecosystem, so, so not just Google Cloud, um, is where we provide our clients with metadata from, uh, from location-based services. So we can enrich a transaction you know, with, uh, with information on, or geo, geolocation-based information. So if you think about it, Google Maps is, is, is the world's richest data set when it comes to that geolocation data. Um, 
and we could enrich the merchant data with that geotagging data. Plus, we can then put merchant data, um, because clearly we've, we've got a lot of merchant data from advertising, uh, enrich it with merchant data too. Um, then you can use tools like Google Cloud's Vertex AI um, to predict the chances of a fraudulent transaction from all of that augmented data. And, and let's be really clear here, um, Google Cloud is not performing any of this work. We, you know, we don't identify individuals with that data. We're simply providing the tools to our clients to do that work. So, so a great thing about uh, tools like AIML um, that we've brought to market, you know, packaged up as a tool like Vertex AI, is that these tools are constantly learning on these data sets. They're getting more accurate um, you know, to whatever use case you point them to. Um, and furthermore, they're all based on simple SQL. So, so your, your, your dev teams don't need to be you know, reams and reams of, of deeply qualified data scientists. Anybody with basic programming skills can start to harness the power of data and AI. Um, and that, you know, that, that sort of technology underpins consumer experiences um, from Google products, you know, I've mentioned before, Translate and Search and everything else, um, that, that people have every day. Yeah, fantastic. And I think so that brings together, when we think about that specific use case of, uh, of, of push payment fraud, yeah, ultimately, you know, they, the, the, and, and especially thinking about that in relation to sort of the data principles, what we're seeing is the way that people are leveraging, you know, high quality data in a reliable way with um, data management solutions uh, that unlock technology advancements um, and then combine that with great data skills, you know, uh, or I should say, you know, data skills that are appropriate to the individual users. So, you know, the fact that, you know, this this isn't now such a high bar of data skills that it makes it um, something that can only be unlocked by specific individuals. Um, in order to apply those to a real world problem, which, as we said, is, you know, costing the UK economy 600 million uh, in, in 2021 uh, with a very high growth rate. So, yeah, really interesting kind of use of how um, uh, uh, data is unlocking value uh, against specific use cases. Absolutely. How can cloud technologies um, help drive this innovation? Right? Specifically, what, what's Form 3 done around this? You know, you're, you're the first cloud agnostic and multi-cloud payment services provider. Uh, well, I think we've already touched on lots of benefits of, of, of cloud processing when it comes to data. You know, and really, you know, I think just to kind of summarise those at a high level, you know, there's there's the kind of benefits around you know flexibility. You know, the ability to put when you think about putting your 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 data in the cloud or, or your payment processing in the cloud. You know, really, what you're um, you're focusing on there is is the ability to you know have uh, to to work with partners who can identify new use cases and connect those use cases seamlessly to your transaction data processing. Um, you're focused on security benefits. You know, obviously that insurance that you are uh, protecting your most important resource which is your data um, making sure that you uh, the, the modern clouds that offer the best level of security in terms of uh, in terms of uh, threat modeling and uh, and risk prevention um, the ability to focus on uh, automated software updates you know always benefit from you know the only change the only constant in 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 the financial industry is change so being able to adapt to that with continual updates in terms of benefiting from whether that's coming from regulatory pressure or from you know, customer expectations or indeed your own technical uh, requirements, 
you know, making sure that uh, that you are you're you're not being uh, put in a position where you know, and we talked about data silos, but it's equally equally apt to apply it to you know payment processing technology that you're future proofing your ability to adapt to that change. You know, so I think that all those things are, are relevant when we think about the benefits of of cloud, um, both specific to Form Three and specific to uh, uh, to, uh, to 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 data especially. Um, Absolutely, I agree with all of that, Nick. Um, but you know, given that I work in cloud, I've got to be humble and, and recognise that that whilst moving to the cloud gives huge benefits, there are also challenges. You know, we've got to recognise some of those challenges, um, and it's not a simple challenge. You know, the, the challenge of moving to cloud is multi-dimensional. Um, it's got you know far-reaching implications that aren't just about technology. Um, it's about the people that implement them and the processes that govern them at, at the same time. Um, so as one of the earliest organisations to operate entirely in the cloud, um, Google's been spearheading projects for years that address this very issue, you know, from leadership and people management best practices um, to engineering driven software operation methodologies like um, Site Reliability Engineering, SRE, you know, we, we literally wrote the book on that, you can, you can buy it on Amazon, um, to, to zero trust security models like BeyondCorp. Um, so it's from work like that that we've developed a streamlined framework uh, for adopting the cloud. Um, we've created a, a cloud maturity scale, which, which looks at four key themes and, and three phases. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that to accompany the podcast, we'll be able to show this, this maturity scale, because uh, it's quite difficult to explain, uh, but where you can actually see the themes, which are almost pillars along the x-axis and, and the phases on the y-axis. I mean, in brief, the, the themes are uh, learn, lead, scale and secure, um, which define the foundations of, of cloud readiness. And the phases are level of maturity, so, so how do you use the cloud? Is it tactical, is it strategic or is it transformational? Fantastic. And I, I think that uh, what's really interesting about that uh, cloud maturity journey is it's one that uh, we've seen all businesses engaging in uh, to some extent. But when you think about the far end of that and and you know the the fact that the the word you've used for the uh for the uh for the ultimate kind of uh demonstration of cloud maturity is transformational um and that really summarizes uh the in in a single word the the true value of of kind of adopting cloud um you know and the ability as we've kind of said in terms of kind of being able to unlock the value of data within your transactional use cases is that it can be transformational to, to, to your business approach. Absolutely, but, but let's not forget that transformational means different things for, for different industries. And I'd argue that Form 3 really is at the vanguard, the transformational vanguard, um, as we've touched upon. One aspect of that is because you've gone multi-cloud. Um, We've we touched upon the word multi-cloud a few times, uh, but just for the benefit of the listeners, um, what does multi-cloud really mean and, and how does it affect players specifically in the in the ecosystem and indeed why is form 3 invested so heavily in this in this multi cloud approach so for form 3 our focus was always on being able to provide uh, fully resilient global ready services to our customers you know and when we think about multi cloud that really is about unlocking the you know uh, the opportunity for us to offer services to financial uh, institutions, which are um, able to uh, survive um, 
both individual kind of element outages all the way up to a uh, an outage at a uh, uh, at a cloud level, however remote that possibility may be, um, and being able to offer the same levels of security and performance, um, regardless of the state of the underlying technology. So being able to to really think about the fact that those critical services are sitting on a multi-cloud technology. Um, and really for data, the arguments are the same. You know, when we think about something as critical as your fraud solutions, you know, making sure that those are that those are, have offer the same level of resilience, the same level as performance, um, because of those critical nation, uh, critical uh, ne ne critical state of of the uh, of the transaction purpose. So, you know, from our perspective, you know, that's what multi cloud unlocks for us is the ability for us to really think about the, uh, the 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 nature of the of the of the service itself and why that service should be uh, should be fully resilient um, we also recognize that the and you touched on it previously the nature of some of the regulations which are coming in in terms of dora which are going to focus on cloud concentration you know on, on technology concentration you know and again you know that's really applied to that kind of resilience and security risk and the ability for for banks to be able to uh, to to have to be able to prove that they can uh, that they can survive the outage of a uh, uh, from a, from a single supplier down to the outage of a of, of a of, of a major national infrastructure, and still be able to offer their services. So, I guess. When we think about the uh, the the future of uh, uh, of cloud computing, you know, where do you think um, the uh, the the opportunity will take that payment ecosystem? I'm really optimistic. You know, genuinely, I'm excited to be working with clients like Form Three um, day in day out. Um, I'm really optimistic about the the power of cloud to to really unlock data and to release value uh, within the payment space. Um, I personally, I think we're at the beginning of a journey. Um, you know, with Form 3, the only PSP that I'm aware of, which has taken a, a fully cloud native, cloud agnostic and multi-cloud approach. Um, so breaking the future down into three buckets, I, I think the, the payments of the payments provider of the future and, and payment of the future will be invisible, uh, real-time and intelligent, and thirdly, integrated with, with finance options. Um, so taking each one of those uh, individually, um, payments being individual, um, I see payments as being integrated into end-to-end -end processes, leveraging all technologies. So, so we've already seen the, uh, the proliferation of contactless payments in Europe. I, I don't leave the house with a wallet now, I've, I've got my mobile. Um, I think that's going to continue apace globally. Um, I think we're going to see more payments being integrated into consumer experiences to become frictionless, uh, you know, such as checkout free shopping powered by RFID chips uh, on each uh, item that you get, for example. Secondly, um, real-time and intelligence. Um, what we're going to see is, is far more account-to-account -account payments um, are starting to come in. Um, and for the consumer, that's fantastic. It's, it means minimal transaction fees. Um, but most critically, you don't have to wait for days for a payment to settle, as we're used to in some geographies. Indeed, as we had with the SWIFT system in the UK just sort of 10 years or so ago. Um, intelligent refers to using AI ML technologies in real time uh, to drastically reduce fraud, I think, as you touched upon earlier. Um, thirdly, finally, I, I think we're going to see far more integration of these frictionless payment systems um, with finance options. 
So the impact of that is we're going to see rail revenue decrease and financial revenue increase um, with financial products like Buy Now Pay Later embedded into payment streams. Um, so in summary, I guess the speed and ease of development and the low barrier of entry and availability of the cloud, plus access to all this, this, this rich treasure trove of data, uh, it's going to level the playing field when it comes to payments. You know, niche providers like um, like Form Three, who wants a niche anymore, but but um, but you're 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 going to be um, competing with uh, you know and outsmarting the big legacy banks. Um, and ultimately, the winners of this are going to be consumers, which I think is great. I would, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd certainly remember, just to say, Ronan, I really love the uh, the way you described the the payment of the future. Um, and I think rather than uh, outsmarting uh, the uh, finance institutions, I think what it does is it enables us to think about the the way that that a connected, intelligent network actually leverage actually elevates the the power of every participant to to increase their uh, the power they have to unlock the value of that transaction you know and and i can see that being beneficial at all layers but as you say the real benefit that then uh, falls is is to the consumer because the uh, the ability to for the consumer to 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 recognize the the value of the uh, the the real time payment which is also being uh, fully secured uh, in turn and, and uh, uh, fully checked for any potential risk. Um, you know, these are, the, for a consumer level, you know, those real-time payments are going to be fully trusted. Um, you know, and the benefits of that when they're integrated with all the, uh, all the uh, uh, places and, and the situations that a client wants to make, uh, a customer wants to make a payment, becomes a really powerful tool set that, that, that all uh, financial institutions can leverage. So Nick, I, I completely agree with, with, with all of the above. Um, so to summarise, uh, if a CEO of a financial organisation or, or a bank was to ask you what the biggest opportunity uh, that data could deliver to their organisation uh, over the next, say, two to five years, what, so what would you say? I think what's really interesting with the conversation that we've had, Ronan, is that inevitably, you know, the the principles that we've discussed and the technology we've discussed will unlock a range of benefits. You know, inevitably, if you invest in these systems and you invest in these principles, you're not going to unlock a single use case. You know, you unlock a range of value. But as an example of that, just to link it back to, to a single point of value that we would, uh, that we'd be able to see relatively quickly and it deals with a problem that's not only affecting banks, but also consumers, we would be linking it back to potentially push, stopping push payment fraud. Because it's a clear example about something that's a real-time challenge, it's a data challenge, and it's a technology challenge. And so, you know, solving that at a bank level is one that would generate up to six hundred million pounds of, of of savings in terms of the uh, the the impact of those fraud losses at the UK level. Um, it's a cost per transaction of seventeen pence. So, you know, this is probably the highest individual. Uh, transaction cost element in uh, in the transaction process um, and it's one that the PSR is bringing in regulatory uh, changes in order to adapt um, and the critical thing here is that it's not a, simply that it's a um, it's a cost behind every single one of those losses is a victim you know who's going through the uh, uh, emotional uh, and uh, as well as you know financial challenges that are associated to to that fraud so you know it's an area where you know it's not only a case of being able to uh, 
to do something that's the, the right thing to do from an economic level, but also there's the social benefits of being able to be seen to be protecting your customers. So there's a real benefit on that. Absolutely. And, and I think my summary from a, a technical perspective is the, the technology is there um, uh, to enable you to, to, to do that and to protect uh, both the banks and the consumers. Fantastic. So thank you very much indeed, Ronan. I really appreciate you uh, joining us today. Um, if you found this podcast interesting, please, as I said, mentioned at the top of the uh, at the top of the podcast, feel free to join us for the FinTech Talents Festival that's happening in London on the 14th and 15th of November. We'll be on right after the plenary session, um, where Ronan will be hosting a panel discussion titled Payments, Monetization of Data and Other Benefits of Cloud Technologies, on which I'll be joining HSBC, Lloyd's, Capital One and Payment Sense to provide our collective thoughts on this topic and extend some of the things that we've talked about today. You can get free tickets for that at fintechtalents.com events slash events slash London. That's fintechtalents.com slash events slash London. So we look forward to seeing you there and it just reminds, remains for me again to thank Ronan for joining us on this Powering Payments podcast. Thank you, Ron. That's fantastic. Thanks so much for your time too, Nick.